Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. We are back with John Riggio, tennis pro, architect, man of the hour. As always, he joins us today to talk more about his career. And yeah, he has a few. Welcome back today. How are you doing? Good. Hi, Joe. How are you? I'm great, sweetheart. I know today we're going to focus more on tennis again and uh, you still playing tennis. And as a tennis pro, your career, last week we got to see some of those cool rackets you told us about and, you know, you broke a few. (laughs) But how are you feeling today? Everything good? Yes, everything's great. Thank you. Um, Yes, I have more rackets and that is to continue from what I had shown you and the rackets that you're getting even better. I think just to continue off from where I was with those old wood rackets, I was able to get my old two wood rackets. These are very nice rackets. They're in good condition. And these are rackets my parents had. But one thing that's good about these, if you see here, it's a his and her set. One here with uh, Yvonne Gulagong. And here, Marty Risen. And these are very nice rackets. They're both Dunlop. These are in excellent condition, too. I bought these. These are old rackets. They both have candy cane strings. And you see the color is like yeah. his and hers. So this is his. This is hers. And this is the same racket. These are in excellent condition, old wood rackets. And I bought these because my parents had these rackets. We used to have a bunch of rackets like that. And so those are really good. And then I have... um some rackets one interesting racket i was looking for some pro stock rackets and one pro stock racket was a uh, racket that another pro player was using and i was able to buy this racket and this racket i envisioned playing with this right away mm-hmm. but then i took a look at the condition and you see it says here bosworth tennis yeah and i bought it and uh, you know, I, it said that this other player was using it and everything, and I wasn't too sure about it. Mm-hmm. And um, let me just open this here. So I have taken it out of the thing here, and this is a very nice Dunlop rocket. It's, it's a nice rocket. It has leather grip. And this racket it isn't from long ago. It's very recently, and it's used by uh, a player, Tommy Roberto. Mm-hmm. And um, it says here it's pretty good. It has a swing of three zero two, and uh, it's very nice balance on it. And this is um, a Dunlop racket that is uh, a pro stock racket. It does have some wording on it saying Dunlop. Okay. With the the, the uh, this kind of yeah, pro yeah. stock racket doesn't necessarily have to have wording, because of the situation where if you're playing and you have wording you're advertising someone's brand they might not have you're not really sponsoring mm-hmm. the brand and then so this here and this has just uh the grip from this particular company and uh this one is a uh, option 2c okay. of a dunlop pro stock they have all kinds of different models of the rockets it's a very nice one so i think i bought this i envisioned playing with this right away but since i noticed this has this whole thing with this player and i think this player is uh was playing recently that I just sort of kept it in the bag and I haven't really played with it. <laughs> so I just kept it there. So let me just uh, show the next one. 
Now, the next one is really just to give you an idea. I went looking for some more rackets, and I have another very nice Dunlop. And this Dunlop is the same idea. It's a pro stock and has the leather grip. Mm -hmm. And this was just made recently. It isn't from long ago. It has a smaller head size, but this is typical of what kind of racket that I would play with. And uh, it's all the black dot. It has some things about the tension on it and the uh, the weight of it. It's officially a uh, Dunlop racket, officially manufactured. And with this kind of racket, I used to also have another racket. And this is from the Prince Racket Company gave me this racket. And this is a pretty good racket that I had. This is called the Prince mm. Graphite Mid Plus. Okay. And this racket, they gave me two of these. And, of course, if they were to break, they replaced them. And I, this also has a leather grip. Now, this racket is, like, from the year, like, 19... Um, just around from the year, like, 1986. Okay. To, like, 1988, they were making these rackets. And I had a couple of these. And these weren't too bad. I can... I use this as a backup racket. If my other racket broke, I could finish the match with something like this. Mm -hmm. And very strange, I bought this racket, and for some reason, someone had broke it. But they broke it very different. I think this, you can see the strength of this kind of racket. Mm -hmm. As if you can see, this is bent. It looks like someone had maybe uh, took the racket and hit it on the floor. Yeah. Because it looks like it's, it's hit on the floor over here. And this, the metal which is made of um, uh, composite metal, seems to have bent a little. It's bent and it's just about cracking over here. So th so I bought this just as far as memorabilia, but it does have a crack in it. It was, it was very interesting. And um, But this is the same kind of racket. This wasn't too bad a racket for that era. It's just a Prince Graphite. And this one is just a standard racket. You would just string it maybe up to 60 pounds, and uh, you could play a pro match with it. It isn't too bad. Nice. So, so that is one racket that I had. And that is the usual thing I had. So I had that and the and the other one, this racket, which was the uh, just like a pro stock, and it isn't really, wasn't really advertising the brand. This one does have the painted uh, Dunlop signet on these strings. But that would usually change because that one just came with the string. So those are pretty good. So I picked up a few of those pro stock rackets mm -hmm. and some memorabilia about them. And uh, so it just brought back some memories for me. And it was, it was very interesting. And those old wood rackets, uh, I was able to find those two in, in excellent condition. But uh, that, so that was good. Uh, so those are two rackets we used to have at home. I thought they were very interesting. But just to add to some tennis points, uh, I think uh, I was thinking about some important things, and, and some of them, just to, to point out, was when I was playing uh, at Sutton East, when that was my uh, tennis bubble, and they put in the grandstand and everything at that point, was they used to charge admission. And I think that's one point. It wasn't just where you just walk on to the grandstand like you're anywhere. You would really have to go through and buy a ticket and enter into the... Mm -hmm. The, the area there and sit in on the on the grandstand to watch it. And um, I think when I was playing some important matches, the whole sidewalks were filled with people. It was really uh, uh, amazing. I think they charged about approximately $8 per, 
per ticket for that, that general admission. So that was pretty good. I think it was priced as, as a typical general admission. They would have at any uh, stadium you'd go to. So you'd go there, and that, well, that was really the start of that whole thing. So that was pretty good. And um, I think another thing about my tennis career that I think I was pointing out, showing the old wood rackets, mm-hmm. showing the metal rackets, was really uh, my generation. I thought it was very interesting that my generation, um, uh, my age when I was born, uh, the people that I was around was very interesting that there was a lot of things happening with people maybe a little older, maybe 10 years to 14 years older than me. Mm -hmm. And um, I think going through that generation, uh, I think there were some good things about it and maybe there were some things that might have not been as good. I think the one thing that was good, I think like a lot of things with the 80s was the new rackets, <laughs> the new style to play. I think that was pretty good. And I think just the time of the, the 80s going into the 90s were, were, were pretty good for uh, for me, good, good for people around me. And, um, and then I noticed some things like say like my sponsors, I think the only thing like with my sponsors is that they were a few years older and um, and they can say communicate with my mother, you know, like my mother's age. But uh, as I was progressing in my career, particularly my sponsor mm-hmm. that started this whole thing in Hicksville, uh, Patrick Mulroney, he um, he was a little older and he went into retirement. And uh, I remember those times with playing tennis. I every once in a while I give him a phone call, and uh, he. Uh, I think he he was always good to always call call him about my tennis and he, and he it, it was it was helping to keep my tennis going. But then, uh, unfortunately, since he was going into retirement, another some interesting things was happening. I think uh, so that that really propelled me to find more people to to sponsor my game. But I think that is one thing about my particular generation that was making things uh, very interesting. And um, so I was lucky to find more help with my tennis game. But in fact, that is one interesting thing about the tennis game. And then uh, because he was always sponsoring pro tennis players, he had his own pro shop and he knew all the different uh, sport brands. He knew all the Prince, uh, Dunlop, uh, Babolat, Wilson, all the different brands and uh, that were sponsoring players. And uh, so that was one interesting thing about uh, my generation and playing that I was doing things and and there was like this whole thing with the different like generations of of people, the years of they were playing. Mm -hmm. So I think that was one thing about it that I thought was very interesting. So I think um, I was able to find new sponsors. It was interesting, but I think some... uh, it was that that one point was a little difficult, but I was able to do it, and uh, and I think that that's one interesting thing about my generation. And I think uh, starting off, I think I saw uh, a lot of the previous generations tennis players. Some of them were still playing with wood rackets too, and um, of course they had the pro version of those wood rackets. So, but, so that was very interesting. So that is one interesting thing about my generation. I was able to uh, see the previous generation players. Some of them had old rackets or wood rackets. 
And the playing style was a little different. They weren't really using all the top spin on the ball. They were hitting more of a straight line ball using those uh, teardrop shape rackets. So things were progressing a little, changing. And I think that, that was what hap- happened. And then I think also since uh, my age compared to a lot of people who are mm-hmm. sponsors and things like that, when I was getting sponsored and doing these changes with different um, sport organizations, they already had some players that they knew from the previous generation. They already went through a lot of experiences, things like promoting the player, having um, getting a brand with the player, then the thing with uh, all, all the things with the, um, as far as like television mm-hmm. and um, publications, I think when I was playing, they had a lot of publications coming through with one of the papers they had in Manhattan. And that's usually how people knew about those matches taking place with the Manhattan Open, autograph signing day, things like that, was going into those usual newspapers. Uh, the thing with the tennis magazine at the time, there there was always that controversy with tennis magazine and and. I think a lot of people, they always, there was always like peer pressure to try to find out how you can get in with the tennis magazine, but it's, they were a little bit, uh, separate group. And I think I had said on, on some shows like they, <laughs> they didn't want the tennis magazine on the, on the shelves at all. So then, uh, that was one thing that was interesting. So then, um, when I was doing things with different people, and I think that even progressed all the way up to stadiums, like some people, when we were doing the thing, building the stadium, I think some of my sponsors, they had already had these experiences with previous players where they were doing the stadiums and things like that. And I think some people, they weren't sure if the stadium deal was going to, um, uh, something they want to invest in. I think like with the pro, they offered the pro, uh, company if they wanted to invest in continuing construction of the stadium and i think uh i know from my group of people the sponsors and everything they um certainly were going to continue building the stadium with that but i think since i was uh maybe uh one generation younger than a lot of people they had and my sponsors or they already had a history of of other players that they had sponsored so I think in one thing they knew that I was the one to invest in. I think that's one thing that helped me. And then the second thing was also wondering if what good investments are really going to go along my career. Do they want to go with the stadium ideas? And each each camp had the option to invest money into buying stadiums. And like Perot did buy a uh, tennis center over in uh, Glen Cove, New York. On Long Island, I think I had said this before. I uh, and it is it is on my list of uh, different experiences from the tennis. If you were to go on the, on the internet, I have it listed. And the, so they, that was more of a uh, a solid investment for them. And I think those type of ideas I had when I progressed on to where I went to Mitsubishi and then ending in Reebok, uh, I then. Um, would then propose those same ideas to them, giving them examples of tennis centers, maybe building the rest of the stadium, things like that. 
So those were different things. And I think since it was my generation, they they already had an idea of what things to really go with. And some things maybe they don't want to bother with. The I think the tennis center idea was probably pretty good because uh, uh, they could always put other people in the tennis center. If uh, my game or another player's game they're investing in were to stop, certainly they could always get some other people to walk into the tennis stadium um, or tennis uh, uh uh, center and and always could play there. They could always rent it out too. I think during during the time I was in the Sun East, I did get some experience in teaching some ordinary people some tennis too. Uh, instead of just uh, waiting um, for just uh, just those pro, I they they had an idea of maybe working in some just basic people who would learn some tennis from me, and uh, maybe that could generate also a, eventually a personal income on the side for me too. Uh, because with these tennis centers, there's always the uh, idea of me possibly even just running my own personal tennis center and um, making money that way, generating money, teaching, and, and things like that. So the, I was already doing some of that. They gave me a few people to teach tennis to who weren't pro players. So I, I did get a little sampling of that at the time, too. So that wasn't too bad. I think uh, some ideas... Going back, even Vitas Garrelitis was always recommending, telling me to put my name in like the uh, local penny saver where I can give tennis lessons, and um, as as just like a little side thing. So that that was one interesting thing. And I think um, one interesting thing about my generation that was a good thing, instead of uh, all the things that they were cautious about, was the new thing with television having the video. Uh, van having they had this television van and it had the uh, it had the like this boom on top and when the television was going to go on they used to raise the boom and you see this like this little television camera on it and at any time I was on TV and they did this on purpose uh, with myself and with other players that the television would turn on at any time I, there's no way for me to know if I was on television for that match or I wasn't on television. And I think that is something new for my generation. I think it worked pretty good. They did that on purpose because they don't want you to become self-conscious about playing on television. And they also don't want anyone interfering, too. They don't want people coming over. So this whole thing with the mobile van and the television worked out very good. In fact, I think the one, the first time I was just made the the main group when I just turned 18 years old, they had like the Channel 2 news van came out and parked in the parking lot and the boom went up. And I think when I was playing some tennis, uh, my opponent, uh, one one of the games I remember particularly was with uh, Vitas Garrelitis. He was, uh, wasn't too sure what was happening. Because he was a player from uh, a previous generation, and he was used to organizing the, the, the players there, the new players uh, in the pro group. And uh, so that worked out really good. That was to my advantage in my generation, that they could just turn on the camera, and I'm there. And this happened uh, over the years through my, my career, where they were able to use that uh, uh, handheld camera. And it's somewhat large. It, I think for them, you you probably see them on television. They have to put them on their shoulder if they carried them or just goes on a boom of a truck. 
So they had those, and but I think in my generation that was able to to help me out. And uh, so that was one thing I was able to excel with. Then the next thing with the television, it was, wasn't just the television, but it was also what television network. And uh, I think uh, when I was at Sutton, they had um, Robert Kraft. I think I, I talked about Robert Kraft as one of the uh, persons involved with my tennis. And uh, I was there, and they the really these the network to really get on at that time was ESPN. So I was really one of the first players to really get on ESPN. And I was talking to some players and I used to check back at the tennis center over by the parking lot and they would say, uh, you know, they're getting jealous. They're getting jealous. They want to go on ESPN. So I was really doing the top thing, the newest thing, going on ESPN and going on other networks too. It's like, I don't even know all the networks I was on, but I find out later that they have seen me in different parts of the world and they really like my playing and they know my playing. Yeah. So that was really good. And um, so I think, I think one thing also was, um, uh, I was also talking about some things about the tennis center and the people, but at the player level, I think the players that I initially met, like they had Vitas Gariolaitis, Ivan Mendel, and Beyond Borg, I think they were all willing to let me get uh, recognition, exposure on TV. And um, I think one thing was very interesting, that particularly Ivan Mendel, he um, he was the guy running the papers and, and uh, you know going through some basic things when I after I turned 18 about how to play and things like that. And... I think his idea he formulated was that I would really just, they, instead of having my own court in Jericho, that they would maybe move me to where I'd have my own court uh, at the tennis center, which ended up, that did happen. Just I, I think his idea was for me just to play in the stadium. He was going to let me play in the stadium and use that as my place of warming up and things like that. And so he gave me the address and I was going down there at the time when I was just turned 18 and and checking out the stadium there. But he had an idea of me going there and, and making that was going to be the, the place that he thought he sh I should go putting together the things. Mm -hmm. But I think that's another thing that's maybe the generational thing where this idea of me having my own court just there out, outside and building around the court, sometimes they start putting um, bleachers around the court, things like that, was really what was happening at that, at that time for my generation. And I think the tennis bubble, uh, I didn't research the tennis bubble technology back too far, but I think the tennis bubble was another thing that was maybe something newer, that it was it was being kept up with air pressure. And this thing with using the air pressure with the tennis bubble, and you could play when it's raining outside, if it's cold outside, you play all year long. So those are big advantages to the tennis bubble. Mm -hmm. And I think the tennis bubbles would start to take in in my years, the tennis stadium idea then coming up later was a much bigger idea as far as admission of people, but it was really, um, you, you couldn't use that uh, at, uh, in all times. You couldn't use it in all different kinds of weather. So there, there was limits transitioning over to the, the tennis stadium. So I think now those were some very interesting things that were taking place was really uh, changes in technology, um, also my generation, 
where the all the people around me, a lot of the people, they already knew a, the older generation. I was maybe ten years or fourteen mm-hmm. years older than me. Those were those were the players. A lot of them already had a lot of experience with, and um, so I think in some ways I I did get some help because of that, and um, and, and in some ways they might not have. There might have been more problems, more complicated. <clears throat> like my sponsor went into retirement on one of them, and uh, so those were some interesting things that were taking place. Yeah. And uh, so, so I think that is the one thing about the career at that time that was going on. Then another thing about my career that is um, interesting is when I was talking about my career, that I was saying that I had the largest contract. It was in the newspapers, and it went up to 120 million eventually. But that contract, that whole entertainment contract with the stand-in and spokesman, wasn't really that common for most people. Very few people were able to get something like that. I, like, I was told I was only the fifth entertainer Got to it. really achieve that high with entertainment and um, the whole contract that took place and. <clears throat> So that is pretty good. I think that is uh, another yep. big thing. Absolutely. So there were a few people before me that had that size contract. So I think that is another thing. I don't know how many years older the other people had. I'm, I don't really know the name of any of them, but uh, they there was other people that had that size contract. I might not have been in tennis. I think I was probably the first and, one in tennis to And he still becomes that. an architect. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes. Well, I apologize, John. We are out of time now, but another great story, as always. Would you mind sharing how we can reach out to you, please? Yeah, sure. To find out my tennis stories, you just go onto Facebook, go into John Riggio, Pro Tennis Player. I have a link to a list of my experiences playing tennis, my matches, things like that. And on the Facebook page, you can see my photographs of different pictures I have there, some videos where I'm in, things like that. And, of course, I'm updating it all the time. I'm adding on some information on that. It's very interesting to watch. Great. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure having you here. Story after story. Uh, love it. John, thank you so much. You're welcome. Have a great day. Happy thank Thanksgiving. You. Enjoy yeah, the holiday. A- thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. My name is John Riggio. I'm the CEO of John Riggio, RA Architect. LLC. I provide architect services in the New York City metropolitan area. That includes New York City, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. My areas are specifically Long Island, the five boroughs of New York City, Westchester, Yonkers. In New Jersey, it is North Jersey, Central Jersey, and South Jersey. In Philadelphia, the areas are the Philadelphia metropolitan area. You can find out more information about my company at www.johnriggio.com. That's spelled J-O-H-N-R-I-G-G-I-O.com. And there you will find a description of my work. It shows a portfolio pictures of the different job types. And I also have my contact information there. It shows my 
business address. From there, you can contact me and uh, we can discuss your project. First, uh, we will make an initial consultation. And then from there, we will then go over designing your project and then constructing your project. So I hope to hear from you soon. Thank you. Bye. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Adopt US Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. Your daughter just had her first breakup. Do you A, put yourself in her shoes? How could he do this to you? And for Sheila, she, she has split ends. B, console her. Oh, sweetie, this is going to happen a lot. Four, maybe five more times before you get married. C, take charge. Got to get this all straightened out. Keep a little talking to, man to man, mano a mano. Hey, Steve. It's now a good time? No? Okay, no problem. Bye. Or D, help her find a new boyfriend. I know a great place to meet boys. The internet. Nice, single boys. Never mind. How about some ice cream? As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council.